With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire basketball podcast. That's right, hoops. We're talking San Diego State tonight. Check us out, MWR.com. Twitter, Facebook, kind of all the same thing, Mountain West Wire. I am, as always, here struggling through basketball, Jeremy Moss. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. That's Eli Betker there snickering at me. So, <laughs> I'm just, I just keep thinking, like, if I were on a football podcast, I would do worse than anyone has ever done on any sort of podcast before. So, has, a lot of credit goes to you. Skip Bayless been on a podcast because that could be the way. Uh, <laughs> gosh, don't even get me started with that. Big Bayless, whatever you want to call him. Big Bayless. <laughs> oh, oh, man, those takes. Uh, All of the hot takes. All right, so we're talking Aztecs tonight. Um, or maybe afternoon, maybe morning. Maybe you woke up in the middle of the night and you're listening like, hey, I'll turn on the podcast to hear about Brian Dutcher. Or is it Dutcher, right? <laughs> Dutcher or Dutcher? Dutcher? We'll go, we'll go with Dutcher. Dutcher. Because I, I've heard it pronounced both ways from multiple like credentialed, legitimate people, so I don't know. And I've never heard himself actually say his own name, which is, which is not good because that usually seals the deal, but... I think it's up for grabs for right now, so whatever goes flies. All right, so yeah, we'll talk Aztecs. So that's a big thing. Let's start with let's start with the new head coach. During that last year, um, not Rocky Long, that's football. Excuse me. Longtime head coach Steve mm-hmm. Fisher decided to retire, which is awesome. That's great. He coached for what did he coach? Eighteen years at San Diego State. I it was about or that maybe long. I have was with him for twenty years since Michigan. He's he's been around forever. He was he was with SDSU for eighteen years, and he's been with uh, uh, Dutcher and Steve Fisher have been together since Michigan days. At eighteen, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna brag for a second here because I called this back in September that this would be Steve Fisher's final year, September of 2016. I said that uh, SDSU would end up with an NIT bid, and that it would be the final year of Steve Fisher, and here we are. And it's the Steve Fisher list Aztecs, so that's that's how it goes heading into the 2017-18 season. So when you did your coach, well, first off, congratulations. <laughs> Eventually, if you keep throwing darts, one will hey, stick. I'll tell you this year, my football picks mostly been right. Outside of Fresno State, there we go. I um, predict San Diego State to beat Stanford. I picked Utah State to beat BYU. I said Wyoming might be might struggle for bowl eligibility. So, hey, I'm doing – those are wow. good ones. I got Not some bad. bad ones in there, but yeah. those are some pretty good ones. So – We never talk about the bad ones. That's, why? Yeah. What's the point? the good ones. <laughs> well, stupid upset picks, you never know what could happen. That was my Utah State over BYU stupid upset pick. <laughs> there we go. And if you listen to the football podcast – well, crap, it's going to be too late for that. Never mind. Let's just hope San Jose State beat BYU because I went with the Spartans. So, maybe I'm right. Who knows? We'll see. Could but be. let's get to basketball. So you did your, as we've been talking about, basically throughout all these uh, previews we're doing, your coaching rankings you did a couple months ago back in the summer. And that was right after we had to sit, we had to redo them because of San Jose State, new coaching situation. So where did you put uh, Dutcher? He was um, middle of the pack, I believe, correct? Yeah, he was, I think, middle late. I'm trying to pull it up right now. 
basically my thinking when it comes to Dutcher and basically any other first-year head coach is that regardless of how much prior experience they have that isn't D1 head coaching experience, it really is just a roll of the die because you don't know what's going to happen. We've had a number of head coaches who are first-year guys. We thought that they could excel, and it just didn't really pan out, and also vice versa. So we know that Brian Dutcher has been alongside uh, he's the greatest San Diego State head coach of all time, greatest Mountain West head coach of all time, and obviously definitely one of the best head coaches of all time in college basketball, and Steve Fisher. So you would assume that he has absorbed a lot of the information just being alongside Steve Fisher for over two decades. But do you, I mean, we don't know for sure how that's going to translate because, I mean, it's just six to 12 inches from chair to chair, but. Being a head coach is far different than being an associate head coach or assistant head coach. So I don't think SDSU will have a pitfall with Brian Dutcher because they just have too much talent there. They have great program that has done excellent things the last decade plus. But you just never know. It's a first-year head coach that's coaching a major program in Division One NCAA basketball, so it's a big toss-up. I guess the most recent comparison we could have with that was with uh, Steve Alford leaving to UCLA. Craig Neal was uh, same similar situation. He is with Alfred forever, considered the offensive guru, did good a couple years, and then we know how that ended with hiring Paul Weir this offseason. So that's something to look – just not to say it's going to happen, but that's the most recent scenario that we've lived through and kind of people are familiar with. And Aztecs, like, themselves, they weren't – last year was a step down. We can be honest and say that because their defense wasn't elite like it has been, and their offense has struggled since, what, Xavier Thames has been in town? Essentially, they haven't had a good right. offensive pl- talent on their team. And even that year, that's when they lost to Florida Gulf Coast as the 15th seed who made the Sweet 16. Like, those are the Aztecs who would actually want to not really run with you, but they they never want to run. But that was the year where they kind of released. They would sometimes be the chucker out there, drop step from, what, 30 feet out just because. <laughs> Let me just shoot it this time with, with 32 seconds on the shot clock out of 35. I'll just chuck it from here. But... So what do they have coming back? So we assume you put for the record you put Dutcher eighth in our rankings, which I think it's fair. New head coach, you don't know a ton about him. Um, you have Weir hired just whatever reason, even though he's a new coach as well. But Weir has been a head coach at least one year. So with the Aztecs, they were predicted in the media poll second, right? Yeah. Yes, I believe they so. were second in the media poll. Two first place votes. Uh, just had Boise behind Nevada. And when you look at uh, Ken Palm, they are put second as well as the top 100. No, number one team. They were 71 overall, just barely edging Nevada. So most people, and then what does Matt Norlander have from CBS? Um, you sent me the link. They have them 67. So that puts them kind of on the fringe of maybe making a tournament. Does that sound maybe fair for them? Yeah, and Norlander mentioned that in just his little sense or two blurb on San Diego State that if Dutcher is able to succeed with this roster, and it's a very talented roster, uh, they could be a fringe at-large team. I wouldn't put a ton of stock into the Ken Palm rankings because, as as he's mentioned and, and anyone else that, I guess, understands how his rankings work, is though there is some data that goes into predicting the season, this, the data really isn't important until mid-January, until it's, it's just pure on-court production is what's calculated. But regardless, San Diego State is almost a consensus top three team. You could, uh, some are making an argument for top two. And if 
they could be an at-large team come March. I think that would be a success for Brian Ditcher's first year. This is a talented roster, has a lot of nice pieces coming back, and also a couple transfers as well. So, with uh, so what is let's get back to Ken Palm really quick. So, what do they put in their rankings actually? So he's mentioned that and he actually had a Reddit AMA that I wanted to check out earlier today, which would have been interesting because. Whenever he speaks, I listen because I think it's he's an interesting person in college basketball and what he's done is definitely impacting what the future of college basketball will look like. But essentially, the preseason rankings, you take into account things like returning production that goes with minutes and possessions used by specific players. And incoming recruits are also weighted, but unless they're top 30 recruits, they don't carry much weight because after... Well, your top 10 is usually pretty solid in terms of production. 11 through 30, also solid, productive players. And then after 30, it's essentially a toss-up. So if you have a recruit that's maybe 75 out of the top 100 consensus, that's not going to push the needle much. So you have you have your top recruits, you have returning talent, you have coaching. That also is a, is a factor in there, how, how good your coach is, what his prior history is. But essentially... Even he has said, don't take that much stock into the preseason rankings because they're essentially a placeholder until true offensive and defensive data kick in to a full effect in, I think, about mid-January. So his preseason weights wear off as the season progresses. So then by the time you're midway through conference play, it's just pure on-court data that's being calculated. Okay, that makes sense. So I was just kind of curious how that works. Because also if you look at... uh kind of a football one interesting thing is i look i use footballstudyhall.com so i don't know if ken palm does this as well it'd be a pretty cool thing to do if he did because i don't i don't know how hard it would be but they have um project similar it's a similar setup like advanced stats and things like that for football and basketball compared to basketball they have a section of without preseason bias so essentially only once it gets later in the year does it matter but so like we were making fun like BYU earlier just because we're chatting about them and things. They were with, not including preseason stuff, which includes like recruiting, uh, those type of things like you mentioned for preseason, whatever. They were like 128 out of 130 after like two weeks or three weeks, despite despite wow. having like a FFF S&P plus, like a top 70 or whatever. Not great, but they have a section where just a season only, nothing else, no no preseason bias at all. Which would be interesting because there's still weight. I know it decreases every week with the preseason, not bias, but preseason information. Because once you get actual tangible, like you said, it'll balance out. We'll figure out who's going to be whatever tempo, adjusted offensive pace, those numbers. But I thought that would be that'd be an interesting thing to add where here's the numbers without the preseason bias. Yeah, I think it was interesting that San Jose State was rated this high because what Ken Palm has mentioned is... I, I keep saying Ken Palm, but I mean, official name, Ken Pomeroy. Um, basically, the more factors that you have coming into your rating, like if you have a first-year head coach like San Diego State does, or if you have a number of JUCO transfers coming in, um, changing conference, strength of schedule is not something that's input in preseason rankings. If you have all these different uh, curveballs you could have added into your team, it'll mess with your rating. And I think that's just because it's something that's hard to quantify. I've tried to look at it on my own, try to predict what the top top 10, top 20 teams will be at the season's end. And there's just so many different variables that you can eventually put into the team team rankings. So 
I think San Diego State's probably in a good spot right now, and obviously their preseason Ken Palm won't mean anything come Selection Sunday. But I think a lot of people consider this team a squad that could probably be in at-large consideration come March. So that's got to be pretty comforting if you're an Aztec fan with a first-year head coach after the long and successful year of Steve Fisher. One thing we should mention, I know we're bouncing around and we kind of have off-topics a little bit, but I'm going to mention this now because the Mountain West media days, I'm going to do an article probably up on this one of these days. It'll be, uh, we still got time for this media day basketball stuff to happen before the season begins. <laughs> but you see about the tournament could be moving possibly to Viejas in 2020. I did not say so that. So they mentioned that they're potentially looking to go away from Thomas and Mack in Las Vegas because they say it's unfair home court and all that fun stuff. But that would be the same in San Diego. They're looking at San Diego and Phoenix as neutral sites. Uh, Phoenix is really neutral, but then again, there's reason it's in Las Vegas, right? There's a reason there's a million things in Las Vegas. People want to go to Las Vegas and it's pretty central to the whole conference. Cause even if you're in Wyoming, it's still a what? 10 or 12 hour drive. Nothing out too crazy, but San Diego, how, how would you think if you were to go to Vejas, would people, would they still be the same amount of people going to San Diego as in Las Vegas? Uh, it's it's hard to say honestly because I think Las Vegas is just such an attraction because I mean not only is the Mountain West tournament there but you also have Pac-12s there uh, WCCs there I think Big West and also and and WAC is there as well so you already have a number of those college basketball events that people are down there for I don't think it would be a huge drop off in attendance if at all and I'm not sure how the um, capacities are compared but. I I wouldn't be all that opposed to it being moved in San Diego. I don't really see the purpose of doing it that much. I think a pure neutral court would obviously be the most fair, but if you're going to put it in the court or in, in a city where nobody wants to go, I think you're going to see a big nosedive in attendance. And Mountain West has struggled, unlike any other conference in recent years, in conference tournament attendance. They've declined, I think, in four straight years, so... That's definitely something I would imagine Commissioner Thompson's trying to figure out how to resurrect the conference tournament attendance because it's it's been declining steadily the last few years and he doesn't want to lose grip on what is the conference's main event. Here's why apparently. Well, a couple of things. They did try to go to Denver for a couple of years. That was a disaster. Because, right. okay, if you're going to Denver, I get it. They think, oh, you can go skiing. You're not actually for – because that's a – well, I guess in March you still kind of – you still can, but – it's not like you're close to doing that. Like if they're to hold it in Salt Lake City, which you got Utah State, Boise State, near Miami, well, I mean, there's it's still pretty close to most of these schools outside of like San Diego. That's about it because yeah, it's Vegas six hours, Colorado State Air Force eight hours, Wyoming, a bit farther. About um, no, they're about they're closer than Colorado State Air Force because they're a little up up by uh, twenty five over there. They can do that if you want to go skiing. You're actually 20 minutes away from skiing. Unlike, hey, go Denver, you go to Vail. You're an hour plus to get to ski range or skiing, whatever. So that and that's not mentioned, but that could be a possibility. But it's also cold. Who wants to go in the cold, right? If you're coming from San Diego, right. why and do you want to do that? Would you? I mean, would the common fan go out of their way to see a conference tournament in Salt Lake City, Denver, Laramie? Um, what else? Like Reno, I don't. I don't know if the common fan would do that. Would honestly, would, I think Las Vegas or L.A. and San Diego are just such larger attractions that would bring in people just because they're 
those cities. And you probably get Utah State fans because it's eighty minutes, but it's true neutral. But then you got Phoenix. Like I, I know New Mexico I, home court. I, know. I guess. It's like, I, yeah, yeah, them in Vegas are reasonably close, but that's a warm weather city. But part of it's the attraction. That's the reason. There's a reason the West Coast Conference has it there. There's also a reason why the Big Sky has home court, or the some smaller leagues have it on home court to get people there. And the reason why it's potentially changing is because in 2020, they don't want to move it a week earlier because there's the, I'm going to look this up here, the Con Expo, Con AGG. Do you have any clue what that is? No. It's apparently so, some convention. It is in the... It's like eSports? I don't know. I'm going to find out real quick. It's They're already booked in hmm. that area for March 10 to 14th. And so I don't know what that is. I guess it's a big deal because... Craig Thompson mentioned, well, hotels are going to be 300 a night, but that didn't cost people last year where there was the NASCAR race in town and the like everything else, like what you already mentioned, West Coast, well, week before, but the WAX that same week, essentially, the Mountain West, Pac-12. There's also a huge NASCAR race. Is this expo really much bigger than that? I, I don't know. If if the Mountain West tournament gets pushed aside for an eSports tournament thing, oh, no, my no, no. goodness. Can you Here's imagine? <laughs> okay. Oh my goodness. Um, also, they would want to oh, move no. it the week before, but if they did, they'd have to do pre-Christmas um, conference games. I'll give you three guesses. Do you want three guesses? It's not esports. Let me give you the name again. The name again. Con Expo dash Con Expo Con A G G or AG. Okay, I would guess like a um, computer science hackathon nope. of some sort. Dang, I thought that was a good guess. Um. A ag. What are those things called? Like the the anime nope, nope. sort of You're convention my things. Clue. Ag. Ag agriculture. Close. North America's largest construction trade show. <laughs> oh my gosh. On the website, they even have a podcast featured podcast leveraging the latest advances in construction equipment, or trending now, <laughs> tapping into millennials at the job site. <laughs> I'm face palming so hard right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my god. Also, this one's actually interesting. I look under the hood of self-driving equipment, which means <laughs> automation taking more jobs. So this is the reason why the Mountain West tournament needs to relocate. I guess because it's that big. Hey, it so is. It's North. The Mountain West is literally a truck stop <laughs> conference. You mean uh, what's it called, Boise State? Some people do, right? gosh bill walton does i guess it's all yeah i guess oh here's why i think um okay i'm on their website oh no it's a yeah it says their next convention is like 2020 but i guess it's like every couple of years (laughs) because 2017 was the exhibitor directory here i know this is riveting podcasting about basketball but it must not be every year because the important facts hey you want to know why it's not going to be there or potentially why so if you had to pick a place – oh, one other thing too. Like all the coaches are interviewed here for media day. Their quotes like um, Dutcher's fine, which obviously he'd love it. Uh, Marvin Menzies okay. Leon Rice says he's fine with it. Most of the coaches are Rodney Terry. They're all okay if it would be at Vejas. So if you had to pick a place, I guess the two options are San Diego or Phoenix. has to be Southern California, right? Yeah, I would think so. I think if I had a dream location, it would probably be like Staples Center, but that would be – like 10% packed. Yeah, or even so, Honda in Anaheim. 
Yeah, that's a that's a decent venue, and that's been used for NCAA tournaments in the past and the and future. The so classic, whatever it's called. I wouldn't be opposed to San Diego. It would be. I mean, it's an interesting change of scenery, I guess. I don't know. I would. I would say, yeah, San Diego, Phoenix, because you want. I think you want to be in a town where there's a team within fifty miles or eighty miles. I am sort of surprised. I think, regardless, the, the whole entire. Um, home court advantage argument will be used no matter who it is because there will always be a team that's closest. So you will never find a perfect venue or a perfect situation. Well, if they do T-Mobile Arena, that'd be fine. Just because mm-hmm. that's not a home. But I don't know, I think if they're going to put it in Phoenix, why not put it in Salt Lake? Because I think it's driving distance close, similar to Vegas because you have Wyoming closer unlike San Diego be farther just because of New Mexico compared to the other way around. But I'd say you got to be close to a team. But let's get back to the Aztecs here. Since that's, uh, I guess that's what we're talking about, right? <laughs> San Diego State, right? <laughs> so we got, we know we mentioned Dutcher his first year. Are they going to score any points? Who's going to score points for them? Because is it just Trey Kell? Is he going to score more than thirteen points a game? Uh, he could. I think that San Diego State fans will be really excited about Devin Watson, who's a San Francisco transfer. He averaged about twenty points per game, if I remember correctly. I'm going to pull it up real quick, but he's probably the best score that San Jose State has had since maybe Kawhi Leonard, Ooh, I would really? want to say. He he scored 20.3 points per game in 2015-16 and that's including 65 three-pointers and I mean he's just he's an excellent offensive player and I think he's just what the San Jose State offense needs and they've like you said they've lagged the last 5 or so years. I think they've declined in offensive efficiency each season since 2013. So if their defense slips up as it did last year, it was 28, so that's not a bad mark by any means, but it's usually a top 10 defense in the country. I mean, they, they really needed a go-to scorer, and I think they found one on Devin Watson, so he'll definitely help out the backcourt. You have Jeremy Hemsley and Trey Kell both coming back, so you have upperclassmen leadership and two double-digit scorers right there. So if you, really quick, are yeah, they go with ahead. a three-guard backcourt, those three guys? I would think so. Yeah, I think Kellen Hemsley both started. They started, I think, combined 63 games last year, so those guys are locked in. Devin Watson's got to be a starter. So I think they probably go three guards, and that that might be a bit of a change for San Diego State, but when you're ushering a new head coach for the first time in 18 years, I think you're willing to pull out maybe something different, and I think with a talent like Devin Watson, you want to play him as much it's as possible. It's also like if you guys ever subscribe to Athletic at all, like Sam Vecini, he has his uh, top um, – he changed it. He doesn't do positions. Uh, basically, his intro is, like he says, top – was it because he had Kobe Mackwood as a top lead guard, I think it was? Wasn't that the uh, position he actually mentioned specifically? What yes. was his wing or small forward kind of position? What did he, what was that mentioned as? Because he has a kind of a diff- different name I for it. I don't think it was combo guard. It might have been so, wing. But what he, basically what he's saying, it used to be, hey, if you're a versatile guy, you'll be good or you'll be – you want to be versatile. Now it's basically like put the best five guys in the court and who cares what position they play. You don't really play one, two, three, four, five. You just go out and play. So not go out and play, but everybody could almost do a similar thing. If that makes sense. And I think, yeah, I think just the game of basketball has changed so much the last five plus years where you have a team like Nevada, where you could, you can expect Musselman to have all five of his players on the court at one time to be six foot seven to six foot nine. So uh, they experimented a little bit in their exhibition against Grand Canyon with 
I think it was one of the Martin twins who stand six seven or six eight, bringing the ball up the court as a point guard spot. So uh, positionless basketball is really being stressed now, and you have guys that are versatile and can play a multitude of positions. So if San Jose State's able to do that and play three guards at once and maybe create a little bit more offensive output than they've done the last five years, I think that would be very beneficial for them. Right, here's exactly what he says really quick. Uh, he mentions that he kind of – he kind of changes around a little bit, but like for the guard position, <clears throat> excuse me, position positions are merely suggestions coaches take, and they take their cues from the NBA and worship the altar at mm-hmm. the altar of the three point line because nobody in the NBA can beat the Warriors, but in college everybody wants to be the Warriors. That's what he mentions for guard. But he's right; it's like you said, positional basketball. It's like you got to be versatile, obviously. But like if you're going to be, um, like he mentions, he goes for a four list: lead guards, wings, forward, and bigs. And so, yeah, there's going to be different. If you're a big guy, you're essentially a four or five kind of. But if you're a forward, you could be a point guard essentially. Like, look at LeBron James. What is he, 6'10", and brings the ball up the court? Six, whatever. Yeah, and, and you've seen the inside out, even with San Diego State, who's – I they wouldn't really be considered a versatile offense in most circles. <laughs> they got a score, they have man. A guy Remember in, my podcast title? Can yeah. they shoot 48%? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But, I mean, they have Max Hosel, who's six foot nine, and he's either playing the four or five at all times. He took 153s last year. So even on a team like San Diego State, who's known more as a traditional grinded-out, play-defense, win in the 60s type of team, you still have these power forwards or centers that can shoot threes. You have guards that can defend three positions. And I think positionless basketball is the future of this sport because – you want as much versatility on the court as you can possibly have, and that allows coaches to really mess with their lineups and see what works. Yeah, because you, like you don't want to have a stiff out there. Like that's not not necessarily stiff. Sorry, but it's like uh, a defensive specialist. What are they gonna do for you? It's basically you're taking the guy out of the offense. You're four on five. Yeah, you you don't want a player who is one dimensional, who only takes shots on the wing and can only defend the point guard spot. And if you have more players that can do many things, like I know Deshaun Taylor for Fresno State, he's an excellent three-point shooter, but he can also drive to the basket, and he's great at playing the passing lanes on defense. So the more skills your players have, the better chances you are of being a more efficient team. So you know what I think the most important player on this team is? Like if they're going to maybe upset Nevada, get a NCAA tournament berth or bid, you know the name people like to say every year that no- nothing happens from? I know exactly where you're going with this, so take Malik away. Pope. Is he going That's to right. actually um, do anything this year, score more than 11 points a game? You know, if he stays healthy, and I know we've been saying this the last three years, but the expectations were just so high for Malik Pope coming in. He was expected to be a one-and-done player. He's only going to be there for about 30 games in San Diego State. If he can score double digits and get six, seven rebounds per game and just be the anchor that San Diego State needs and he plays 32-plus games, I think San Diego State will be fine. We saw glimpses of, I wouldn't say brilliance, but Pope looked great in the conference tournament the few games that San Diego State played. He almost looked unstoppable. I think it was against Boise State. He, He had an excellent game. But the big thing for him is just to stay healthy. He's been hobbled by injuries. He's played games where he's been... Uh, banged up if he can stay 100% throughout the season and just produce as 
as SDSU fans and media expect him to produce, I think that he'll be fine. One last thing really quick um, as for players. They do have another transfer coming in from Indiana. You have a uh, Max Hotzel, is that correct? Yes, yeah, he he was a uh, he played for them last season. He was the one that attempted 150 shots or shots from deep for them last year. But uh, to anchor out the oh, front I court, pa- they do yeah, have Cameron I pa- Rooks from I pa- Cal. I thought he was incoming. That's that's fine. Yeah, so so Cameron Rooks comes in and he'll be able to bring in some depth at center for San Diego State, which I think like like you were just saying, he'll help out Malik Pope down low because they they'll have a guy that can be able to spell Pope if if he's banged up or just needs a breather. He's a He's not going to stuff any stat sheets by any means, but he's a big body. He's about seven feet tall. So that's always welcome at the D1 level, especially when you have talented centers in the league like the Mountain West does. All right, so where do you – like we are predicted what top – what are we going to say, number two or three in the league. So let's go to scheduling really quick. They're one of the few teams that we mentioned who can actually schedule opponents. They got Arizona State. They have uh, Gonzaga, Cal. They – yeah. Their non-conference is okay, right? It's not great. Um, oh man, it's really San Diego Christian. Are they really playing San Diego Christian? Yep, they are. McNeese- <laughs> Protect home court. <laughs> McNeese. Mc- is it now McNeese? Because I thought it was McNeese State. Uh, people go either ways. I've seen it seen it uh, written both ways. Yeah, I never have. I've always thought McNeese State, unless that's a different team. Nope. Okay. Whatever. Just curious. I just noticed that. <laughs> so look at their schedule, like. They can get big time opponents, but what are they doing, man? They got nothing. Yeah, it's kind of an underwhelming schedule, and that's unfortunate because, like we've said, this team's very talented. And although they welcome a new head coach, I think this is a pretty solid team. But it limits your ability to, I guess, build up your team sheet. And we saw that last year where they played Gonzaga. That one didn't work out. They did beat California on a neutral court. And then they lost those three against Loyola, Chicago, Grand Canyon, Arizona State. So if you only have what two legitimate opportunities, if that, to beat NCAA tournament teams, that's really limiting come Selection Sunday because, I mean, they might be able to beat Gonzaga because Gonzaga lost a number of their contributors to last year's Final Four team. But besides that, I don't know if you can count on Arizona State making the tournament California is not expected to be very good, so it, it's tough. Uh, they do play in a preseason or, I guess, non-conference tournament, so that's an opportunity for some decent wins, but as far as building up your team sheet, there's not a ton that this non-conference schedule offers. Yeah, they got that's the Wooden Legacy Classic. Is that what it's called, a Wooden Legacy? So they're mm-hmm. playing, I'm trying to see the schedule here. Oh, dang, I wanted the bracket. Um but their their first game is um not nobody special Sacramento State, and then they could get Georgia or Cal State Florida. I'm not sure. I'm trying to find the bracket here, but there it is. Okay, here's the bracket. I was on the wrong page here. But that there's potential there to get something better because they're playing. Oh, we discussed this before. They could play St. Mary's potentially if they make it. That'd be that'd be a good game. They're expected to win the WCC this year. Oh, they were picked number one. Oh, they were. Yeah. All right then. See it. So San Diego State will play both Gonzaga and St. Mary's the top two in the WCC. So hopefully they can beat at least one of them. I mean, if they go 0-2, there's almost no shot at So here's who they play really quick. They start off with Sac State, who they should win. Then, like I said, they can play Georgia or Cal State Fullerton. I'm assuming Georgia's better than the uh, 
What is it? What is the 49ers? Yes. What is the, they're not the 49ers. That's Long Beach State. What's their mascot? Oh, man. Yeah. Fullerton? Crap. Um, I would have guessed 49ers. That's Long Beach State 49ers. I know that. Um, maybe, whatever. Who cares? Um, but also, another side who they could play, there's Harvard State, Mary State, Joe's, and Washington State. So, as long as it's not Wazoo, there's a chance for <laughs> another decent team, another decent uh, opportunity there's a, for a There's win. a couple. So, if, if they could beat Georgia and St. Mary's or play those two teams, that'd be helpful. I, yeah, it would definitely be helpful because you can probably you can definitely count on uh, St. Mary's getting to the tournament and Georgia's, I believe, expected to at least dance around the at-large consideration. And they'll at least be a top 100 team just because the league they play in. Yeah, definitely. You know that is. We discussed that enough with the top 50 wins and all that. <laughs> so, like, looking at the rest of the schedule they have, like, in league play, I could really see them, like, Honestly, there's not a, outside of Gonzaga, they could win probably every non-conference game, depending that um, what would, would legacy who they play. But realistically, unless they play St. Mary's, they probably could beat everybody. They could. I would imagine they're favored at Arizona State. That game is no slouch because Arizona State brings back a number of their contributors from last season. At San Diego, they should be able to win that one. They're not playing in the at Petco Park this year, yeah, so that so they helps. They win that one now instead so, of losing. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, they should. They should definitely finish with at least what ten victories in non conference play. Yeah, and so if they're gonna get a tournament bid, it's like.